Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast podcast, everybody. Uh, we've got a, another rendition of CFP football matchups coming up here for the national championship game uh, for college football. Um, you know, obviously, got a couple of nice matchups on New Year's Eve uh, that'll you know set up an interesting title game. Uh, we've got the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, who've been you know the number one team on top, you know, basically this entire season. Um, and the somewhat underdog uh, TCU Horned Frogs, uh, you know, of Texas. So, um, you know, first we're just going to kind of reintroduce Taylor Moss to the show. Uh, we had him here uh, the last time we shot um, the CFP semifinals. Uh, you know, we did the bio there, but did definitely want to plug that Taylor um, and his friend uh, Nick Collins had basically started a podcast called uh, The Constant Quest. Um, it's a lot to do with personal growth. Um, I think they'll touch on, you know, mental health topics, kind of pushing the envelope um, as we can as humans to you know, put us put ourselves out there and basically try new things. Um, you know, I'll kick it over to Taylor real quick to just you know plug it even further. But if you're on Apple Podcasts, um, you know, perhaps they'll drop on other forums too. But check out the Constant Quest uh, with Taylor Moss. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Pat. I mean, you you kind of touched on it, right? Our whole thing is just was just me and one of my buddies had good kind of deeper conversations about life. And um, he's actually in a grad school program and we had to film one. And by the end of it, uh, this filming for his class, we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, should we be doing a podcast? You know, like if this just felt like two good friends having a conversation, why not just film it and kind of put it out there as a podcast and maybe somebody else could benefit from it. So yeah, man, that's kind of the, where it started. And, you know, we got a lot of ideas, but it's really just, you know, two dudes having a really open and honest conversation, which we were talking about that. And I don't think it happens enough. You know, guys kind of tend to bottle things up. So I won't go into too much deeper than that. But that's kind of the spirit of it. And uh, yeah, if anybody wants to check it out, we'd love to, to have you view it because we're not trying to you know, have a podcast to retire. We're just trying to spread good, uh, good vibes and, and get good conversations out there. So I know mental health, particularly, you know, with everything that's gone on in the last few years, um, it's just a challenge for a lot of people. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely glad that we're starting to talk about these topics. I feel like for our generation, at least it's becoming, you know, the new normal and hopefully, you know, all that continues, maybe you can touch on, you know, generations above us, uh, you know, definitely below. But I think, uh, you know, getting that started and having a, a platform for it will definitely you know, draw a lot of interest as it already has. So I've already listened to the first episode, um, definitely strikes a chord with me, uh, what I care about, um, things I think about on a daily basis. So um, if you guys are out there, check it out. And uh you know, we'll leave it there. But uh, I guess looking at the semifinals, uh, you know, the first matchup we had uh, TCU going up, you know, against Michigan. Uh, you know, we broke that one down. All three of us chose Michigan. I think we were looking at lower scores than what actually ended up happening. But uh, the final score of the game was 51-45 TCU, kind of in an upset, a little bit of a shocker. Um, but Wayne, why don't we start with you? Um, what did you take away from that matchup? And, and what did you see in TCU? Yeah, well, yeah, when I saw Donovan Edwards, like, I think he, like, the first play of the game ran for, like, 54 yards. I was like, okay, this thing's over, because I think that's what their whole thing was. It's like, oh, that's a 3-3-5 uh, defense. Let's just run right through them. And, you know, they had one. Of, they have one of the best offensive lines, and Donovan Edwards is just an explosive back. So, you know, I think we all thought that they were just going to be able to run through them, but um, that was not the case. Uh you know, uh, JJ McCarthy, like he threw what two pick sixes. So that definitely didn't help the case. Uh, you know, they also won it, uh, first drive, right. I think it was on the goal line that the uh, fourth and goal, uh, they tried to do the Philly special and everything and that did not work out. So, um, a lot of things just did not, uh, work out 
for Michigan like early on. And I, I think that kind of just set the set the tone for everything. And, you know, when you are like, I think the Cinderella, it's like you you kind of need some of those breaks. But then also um, you also got to be, I think, have some momentum early on. Right. Uh, to kind of give you that confidence that, yeah, yeah, we can do this. So um, I mean, Max Duggan made some plays. I think that was the key thing I saw there. Uh, you know, he, it was, it always seemed like he was about to get sacked, but was able to like throw out of it and just, uh, pull on the play a little bit. And then man, Quinn and Johnston, uh, that guy is a stud. So, you know, I'm like, you know, do the bears, like, I don't know, draft him. Like, I know we need some D line up there and everything. Like you can trade back. That's okay. You know? Uh, so I would love somebody, I, I think any team would love somebody like Quinn and Johnston there. So, but, um, yeah, I think they just made some plays, uh, Kendrick, uh, uh, Kendry Miller, like I know, I know he got hurt and everything, but um, uh, uh, the running back came in. Was it uh, Demarcado? Uh, came back and you know kind of picked where he uh, Kendry Miller left off there and didn't really hit too many strides uh, or didn't miss any strides really there. So um, I think TCU's defense just came to play, uh, made a lot of plays. Uh, D Winters, like that guy is a stud. It seems like so. Um, you know I think he'll probably be playing on Sundays. <laughs> so he he looked really good out there, and then. Uh, was it Tomlinson's nephew, uh, Hodges Tomlinson? Uh, I think, yeah, he, he made some really good plays there too. So overall, I think it was just a great team, uh, uh, just a great team game, I think, overall for TCU. Um, and then, yeah, with Michigan, I feel like they had this hump. And then I know Jim Harbaugh has been saying like, oh, I'm going to stay at Michigan, like FYI and all that. But uh, it, 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 it does make you wonder like what's next for Michigan. But you know, I think going from the TCU standpoint, like great win overall. So, yeah. I definitely thought they played really fast. Um, I think the score ended up being a lot closer than the game, you know, really was at the end of the day. And for them to kind of show out against a, you know, a top five defense that we talked about with Michigan, it's just, you know, definitely came as a surprise. And, uh, you know, Max Duggan, I didn't know he could do that much with his legs, but, you know, with the quarterback in, you know, that kind of fashion, you know, their top running back goes down, their backup, you know, averages 8.8 per carry. Um, and you still got Quentin Johnston and others to, you know, help in the receiving game. It's just, you know, it felt like they had their finger on the pulse the entire game, especially after that, you know, horrible play call by uh, Michigan on the goal line to kind of kick off the game. I thought that was uh, a really weak move. I would have either pounded it or done, you know, some sort of play action to you know, find an open tight end or something just to, you know, just just make a, a more conservative call maybe to, to kick off the game. You're not TCU, you, you know, you're Michigan, you're the uh, – you're the favorite there in that situation. So um, I'd have been a little bit more aggressive with that call. Um, but overall, um, yeah, I mean, I was I was shocked, but I also uh, didn't really feel like the game was all that close. Um, you good with me now? Um, I guess for me, I, I kind of felt similarly to to you, Wayne. You know, it was like I'm turn, I'm go to watch it in a bar, and Donovan Edwards breaks this long run, and that's exactly what went through my head. I was like, oh gosh, I at least wanted to see a good game. You know, I like unfortunately, you know, it's one play, but I'm like, if they just gassed him for 53 on the first play, what is this going to look like? And I almost wonder how much that played into Michigan's decision to go for it on fourth down. You know, it was like you felt like, well, that's a guaranteed seven. I know he got caught on the run, you know, wherever around 15 or the 10 or whatever. But you just felt like, oh, that's definitely seven. They're going to punch this in. And I guess I just kind of wondered if they didn't. I don't know if there wasn't a little bit of like arrogance there, where it's like, we just broke this long run. We're going to pound this in, you know, instead of just like, honestly, maybe just taking three points. Cause then I think they stopped TCU and then Michigan gets the ball back but then Michigan throws a pick six. And so I don't know, man, it's interesting. I just felt like that was a very unique game. Like TCU looked like they dominated. 
and certainly you give the defense credit when they make an interception score touchdown, you know, but that's a little bit different than an offense like driving on all the way down the field on somebody, you know, just to see like two pick sixes in a game. Um, it's kind of crazy. Um, I guess the other thing, you know, it seemed like as I watched that game, you felt like 10 TCU was dominating and they were, but then, you know, it's like 21, six at half and you're like, man, Michigan's getting their butt kicked. And then Michigan comes out and drives all the way down the field. And they've got a chance to score and they don't they have to settle for a field goal. And you're still like, all right, it's 21, nine. And then I don't know. I don't think they scored again right there, but you just felt like, all right, when's Michigan going to turn it on? And they kind of didn't until I was surprised. I was watching the highlights again um, today and Michigan scored like 30 points in the last, from the last like six minutes in the third through the end of the game. So I was like, that's a crazy number of points, you know? Um, so yeah, it was just a very interesting game, you know, between Michigan kind of having the two pick sixes. Um, that overturned call on the goal line was obviously enormous, right? Where the receiver caught it and he went down. And I think most people thought that was a touchdown. I was, I was a little bit surprised that it was overturned. I felt like that was one of those where you'd go with the call on the field and they overturned it, which I was surprised. And then Michigan kind of literally just gave the ball back to them, right? They try to hand it off to the fullback and fumble it. Um, so I was actually a little bit surprised that it was as close as it was considering, I mean, if you look at a team that throws two pick sixes, right? And then you just give up seven points by a matter of inches, like that's three touchdowns, you know, and they only lost by six. Um, so yeah, I was just, I was I was surprised it was that close to be honest. Um, but yeah, it was a heck of a game, obviously super high scoring. So, but probably the best overall, you know, before we get into the next game, just combination of the two semifinal games i'm used to the semifinal games being kind of crap um and that was a really great day so yeah 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 no i definitely agree uh it yeah like all these turnovers that are it, 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 not to foreshadow too much about you know predictions i think in the championship game but it's like like was michigan like were they into it or something uh, they, they, there was just so many opportunities i feel like that uh, either went by the wayside or, you know, they, they you know, put, left some points on the board and everything. So that, that definitely makes you uh, figure it's like, you know, uh, Georgia usually play, plays a pretty clean game, I would say. So that's usually where it's like, okay, how many breaks can TCU get from Georgia in that case? Uh, again, not to foreshadow too many things, but um, yeah, like Michigan just, their heads were not in this game. I feel, you know, I felt like, and just made some bonehead plays overall. So, um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, going back to, I think, that rushing uh, attack and everything from, you know, uh, all that conversation about Michigan just running through them. I, I think I, I was looking at some of the stats earlier. Is like, uh, if you take away that that 54-yard rush, like from Donovan Edwards, it was like 39 rushes total afterwards, actually, uh, for 132 yards, which not not too efficient. That's like 3.4 yards per carry. So um, not the best rushing afterwards. So I think after that, they're like, all right, let's – you know, fill in the gaps, make sure our gap control is good for the run game. And uh, evidently, yeah, that all worked. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, and then they just kind of relied, I, I guess, on Michigan and killing themselves here. So, yeah. I thought it, there was a good quote by Mozzie Smith from, you know, uh, Michigan, probably going to be in the first two rounds of the draft. He basically said, you know, that's uncharacteristic of our defense to just kind of let them walk up and down the field and score on us. And I know there was a two pick sixes, but in the same sense, if you're a top five defense in the league and you know, maybe playing a team in the, you know, a non-power conference or, uh, you know, whatever TCU has been up against this year, I just kind of found it as like a shock that Michigan allowed that many points to kind of fall on them. So, um, yeah, I mean, outside of, uh, you know, the Michigan, uh, 
touchdown that was kind of taken away. Um, I thought his knee was down, you know, prior to goal line or what have you. Um, seemed like ball was over, but uh, yeah, in the same sense, I feel like they definitely came up short, uh, you know, where they where they probably shouldn't have. I think it's hard, man, to you know, you know, Max Duggan is, you know, he's 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 a good enough thrower. I don't know that he's like an elite thrower of the football. I mean, I think he actually led the big. 12 in passing yards. So he's clearly a good thrower. Like, do I think he's a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young throwing the football? Probably not, but he's a really good runner and almost built more in that, you know, kind of like a Tebow light style. And I think sometimes you just take for granted how hard that is to defend, you know, because it's like, all right, if, if he drops back to pass, you probably got to have somebody spying on him, right? So that changes your defense. And if they go to run the ball, it's like an extra ball carrier, right? Where typically a quarterback would be handed and off. And now this guy's the runner and you can use your running back or fullback, whoever you got in as a blocker. I just feel like that's almost like to a certain degree at times, it's almost like you're playing with an extra guy on the field or you're making the defense do something different. It's just really hard to stop. You know, it's like, Hey, we're going to run right up here and, you know, off tackle, like good luck stopping it. Cause we got an extra blocker. I just feel like it's tough for defense to handle, you know, and he's a hard nosed, like really good quarterback. So. Yeah. yeah. And w- when he got like Quinn and Johnston, I think there was that 76 yard, uh, I guess, a pass or uh, a touchdown from him. Like, in the, I think it was in the fourth quarter. It's like, yeah, how do you, how do you, you know, kind of account for all that? So it's like, okay, we're, you know, game towards the quarterback. And then he just creates like enough time, kind of like almost like Ben Roethlisberger, right? What he usually did is just create enough time to get out of the pass and then, you know, accurately pass it to a receiver and then let the, let, you know, let the, uh, wide receivers make some plays there. So, you know, he's really good at that. And I, I think that'll definitely be a key thing for Duggan and uh, TCU going forth. But, you know, when you do have that weapon like Quinn and Johnson, like you got to get the ball towards him. And when he can, you know, get out of sacks and stuff like that, it's it's so hard to defend that. So not to mention, they, I mean, TCU amassed about 500 yards on offense and it was completely balanced between the rush and the pass. I mean, maybe a little bit more run heavy in that sense but i mean that'll put your defenses like heads on a swivel if you're constantly uh you know checking down the quarterback for you know any sort of uh draw plays but in the same sense if he's going to beat you deep with quinn johnston and their cast of characters it's like i'm sure it just gave him fits all all night yeah i i did want to call out before I, you know we move on to the georgia and uh, ohio state game i did want to call out uh all the all the haters that we had on uh, the last video i think i think we we well, we kind of like, I know we chose like, uh, uh, you know, Michigan versus Georgia and all that. So we got one of those wrong. So I'm, I won't be completely all, uh, saint, you know, be a saint about this whole thing. Right. But um, uh, yeah, uh, Michigan, they weren't all that. Sorry. They just weren't all that. And I, we got a lot of trash for, you know, like, oh, you guys are just homers or whatever for Georgia and stuff like that. Uh, but like, hey, look, uh, they're not in the game. Michigan's not in the game. So, you know, uh, just wanted to point that out there. So. Uh, yeah. So did we, did we get some hate. Michigan feedback too? I saw there were some Ohio State guys on there. Was there a Michigan guy? Were there Michigan? There, guys? Was, there was there was everybody but TCU. I think. Gotcha. Yeah, hey, yeah. but we did get a Kansas State football player follow us, uh, so I wanted oh, to point that out too. So yeah, maybe nice. they were happy that uh, you know TCU's moved on when they beat them. So maybe that'll give them some sort of uh, yeah. you know consolation type of uh, victory there. Yeah. So I guess uh, moving on to the big game, at least in this uh, circle here, um, Georgia ended up with uh, 42 points, uh, Ohio State 41. Um, Definitely an uncharacteristic, I would say, performance from Georgia. Uh, I don't know if the game, you know, would have been scripted that way had, um, you know, most fans written it. But I got to pass it over to Taylor. Um, I want to hear his take on that game because 
literally sitting through it. Um, I constantly felt like it was, you know, falling out of grasp and then, you know, some big plays happened and, uh, you know, momentum definitely swung and they won the game. But Taylor, uh, what did you make of this start to finish? What are some things you want to point out? Yeah, man, so many things go through my head. I think just kind of going through it, you know, chronologically, I think in the first quarter, you know, it was like, or the first possession, Georgia got the ball, drove all the way down. And it was frustrating as a Georgia fan to see this, you know, Stetson Bennett, we, Georgia never, they don't never, very rarely does Stetson Bennett pull a zone read and we didn't get it. And he pulls it on third down and the back just had a wide open lane for a touchdown, you know, and then, and then Georgia misses a field goal. Right. So it's like, oh man, when you know, Ohio state's going to score very important to get points, even if it's only three, get three, but you go from, you know, feeling like there was going to be seven on the board to nothing. I thought that was pretty big. And then, you know, Ohio State gets the ball and they're just, they're tearing it up. I think they score and the Georgia comes back and ran a nice wide receiver. He was actually two the running back, but it was, he was out on the side as a wide receiver, comes back and ties it up. Um, yeah, man, just such a back and forth game. Um, I thought Ohio State did a really good job of protecting CJ Stroud. And when he didn't get protected, he just did a good job of avoiding the rush. George had a lot of guys coming up the field fast and he kind of avoid them. And then once that happened, you're in kind of scramble play and it's really hard for a DB to cover a guy, you know, for five or six seconds, particularly when you've got receivers like that. They also ran some really nice protections. I felt like on the Ohio state side, I don't know if you guys remember this, they'd kind of roll Stroud, not like completely out of the pocket to the right, but he'd kind of roll back to the right and then he'd throw all the way across the field to the left. I couldn't tell if it was a crosser or like a guy coming back on the opposite side of the field, um, but you know, just kind of sitting between the corner and the safety, and you're throwing all the way across. And if you get protection on that, it's just hard to hard to stop. Uh, but yeah, so I thought Ohio State, I mean, played a really good game. CJ Stroud, I mean, the guy just killed it, right? Um, and I don't know if this is encouraging or discouraging, but you know, you go back and look at the highlights, and it's well, you're getting a touchdown thrown on you, but it's like, oh man, he just stepped up, avoided the the rush, you know, and kind of scrambles out to the right. It's like you don't take that away, right? It's a legitimate play, but that to me, that's a little bit different than just running the ball down somebody's throat or just standing in the pocket and throwing it. I mean, give CJ Stroud a lot of credit, right? It was incredible. The guy made tons of plays, whether it was just moving around in the pocket, scrambling like that. Um, yeah, I felt like he just played the game of his life. Um, honestly, still watching the highlights. Um, I don't have no idea how Georgia won that game. Um, you know, I did, I was talking to my brother during the game and, uh, I don't know, man, there's just something about, I feel like, and I think I told you guys, that guys, this on the, on the other podcast, when we're talking about it, um, just like the culture that I feel like Kirby smart has built. Um, you know, you look at that and you're like, well, culture, that's not a culture is not a wide receiver. Culture doesn't throw the ball. And I, I feel like Georgia's culture won that game. I know that probably sounds super weird, but you know, just kind of following the program and, listen to the things they do like this sounds like almost cheesy you know but they literally have a composure card right that like everybody has it they'll show it to Kirby show it to players so somebody's kind of getting too amped up or frustrated or whatever it might be it's like hey man you're losing your composure right and they'll literally like players have shown it to Kirby in the game and I just use that as an example of I just feel like this team just seems to have this like sense that we're always in it right we're in it together I know they haven't lost a game this year. They could have lost plenty of games, but it just seems like there's never any panic. I mean, even in that game, you know, 
Um, I don't know, man. Part of it is that. Part of it, I do think there was just some fortunate breaks. You look at that, it's like I was telling somebody the other day, I think there was three kind of key plays, probably more than that, but three very out of the norm key plays in the second half. One was Kirby calling that timeout on the fake punt. They were absolutely going to get that fake punt when they ran it. Um, I think another one was Brock Bowers just being superhuman and somehow not touching out of bounds and going down before he got that first down on fourth down. I mean, if that happens, Georgia doesn't kick that field goal and they're down 14 still in the fourth quarter. And then I think the third one was when Stroud somehow scrambled and lobbed that ball that I think everybody thought was going out of the end zone. And Javon Bullard just laid the wood on Harrison, which not only broke up the touchdown pass, but then I personally didn't feel like that was targeting, but the targeting got overturned. Um, and then, I mean, you hate to see it, right? But he, he knocked him out of the game too, which like, you can't dismiss that. It was a huge play just for all three of those reasons, right? No touchdown, targeting getting overturned, and he knocked their best receiver out of the game. Um, but yeah, man, just such a back and forth battle. And I think when Kirby came out of halftime, he had mentioned, you know, uh, they said, what was your message to the team? And he was like, win the fourth quarter. And I w- went back and looked, and Georgia won 18 to three. Like, think about that game and went in the fourth quarter 18 to three. So, yeah, just like no, no quit. Um, but yeah, I give credit to Ohio State. I, they just destroyed Georgia with those receivers and crossing routes, and Stroud played out of his mind. Um, and the third quarter for Georgia was just awful, right? I think they started with two, three and outs and just had no momentum. I think Georgia could run the ball earlier, so they tried to start running it, and they got in that predicament right where you run on first you get stopped you run on second you get stopped then everybody knows you're throwing on third down and it's hard to throw it um but yeah it was a hell of a game obviously like i did have a dog in the fight but i mean anybody who watched that game had to just it, it was reminiscent in some ways at least from just the overall emotion and like the way the game went less back and forth but it reminded me of the rose bowl with like baker mayfield and oklahoma versus georgia back in 2017 so yeah yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, Stroud, I think played as good of a game as he could. Uh, you know, they didn't have, I don't think they had any turnovers, right? I think like every team in the football playoffs had some sort of turnover interception or fumble or whatever, but except I think the Buckeyes, so they played as good of a game as you possibly can. But, um, yeah, I think the key thing for me, yeah, was Marvin Harrison jr. Getting knocked out of the game. Like they did not have an answer. Like Ringo could not keep up with him. Like, you know, when they, when the CJ Stroud extended the play. Right. So, uh, and I think they got two touchdowns out of that. So it's like, that was a big time. That was a big moment for them uh, when that happened. And uh, yeah, uh, played as clean of a game as possible, but you know, Georgia, like you were saying, I think, I think it was like, it might've been after the game. I think he said something like, I think he's like, yeah, said something better. He can play better. He can play better or something like that uh, along those lines. Um, so, you know, it's definitely like that idea of like accountability and then composure too. I, I think you were mentioning. So very disciplined team. And yeah, they don't really hurt themselves too much. Um, you know, I know Bennett had that one interception, but uh, after that, he, he really bounced back. I think, I think, you know, he played a much better uh, second half, obviously. Uh, but yeah, then the defense obviously stepped up uh, and, you know, ensuring as much as possible that, uh, okay, we're gonna make this a field goal a little bit farther, <laughs> just in case. Uh, at the end there, and you know, sure enough, uh, yeah. Once that clock hit, hit, uh, you know, twelve, twelve, uh, twelve hundred, the new year and everything. You know, I think the ball just uh, kind of said, "All right, uh, this game's gonna go to Georgia now." So, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I would just say kind of reminiscent of, you know, watching the Warriors Celtics or Patriots Falcons in the Super Bowl is kind of like, I felt like the talented, the more talented team, you know, was Georgia in this matchup. And I think, like you guys were saying, you take Marvin Harrison out of the game. They didn't come into it with Jigba, and they're doing about 70% of their offense through the pass. It's like you take away two of your top weapons against like one of the best defenses in college football. It's like you're probably not going to score a whole lot after that point. In the same sense, I felt like there were some really big momentum swingers, uh, especially the Arian Smith, uh, you know, 70-plus yard touchdown to kind of kick off. Uh, I believe it was the fourth quarter. Uh, obviously, the, the last play of the game um, to Mitchell was was huge as well with uh, kind of the clock expiring too. Uh, the missed field goal was obviously very big, but it kind of just felt like uh, the right team ended up, you know, picking themselves up, you know, maybe – you know, abiding by those composure cards, maybe kind of refocusing, you know, getting into the fourth quarter and uh, just showing their strengths where they needed to be shown, uh, you know, as the game was kind of closing out. But I think the one thing I was thinking about when we were previewing this matchup was was thinking about CJ Stroud having to have the game of his life. And I'm pretty sure he did that. And, you know, it still wasn't quite good enough. But I don't think we could put a lot of blame on Stroud. It's just you're going up against the best team in college football, in my opinion. So um, in that he played really well, his stock has risen. Um, but in the same sense, I feel like, you know, Georgia, you know, sealed the game and, uh, you know, walks in the national championship, I think, with a lot of uh, um, just insights to pull from. I think there's a lot of, you know, lessons they can learn from a game like that. And, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes, uh, you know, facing TCU here coming up on Monday. Um, so with that, um, you know, maybe turn it back to you, Taylor, but at least setting up the national championship game. Um, we can break down both teams if, if we'd like, but in the same sense, like a prediction would be great. And uh, just like to hear your thoughts kind of walking into this championship game, how you feel about it in this matchup. Yeah, I guess a lot to say. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, TCU, I guess the first thing that stood out, I know they run like a 3-3-5 defense, you know, three down linemen, three backers, and, and five DBs, which is a little bit different. Um, I do think – so Georgia's played um, Mississippi State, who also runs a 3-3-5. I'd heard that maybe the way that they run their 3-3-5 is a little bit different. But I thought it was important that, you know, you've kind of faced that earlier in the year. It's almost like playing against a triple option or something from the defensive side. You know, it's like you probably want to have a little bit of experience with that in another game. And I, I thought – I feel like that's a big deal um, that they've already played a team that runs 3-3-5. And then Kent State, who Georgia played earlier in the year – I don't know if it's their base package, but they've run a good bit of 335 as well. Um, so I think just kind of understanding, you know, where folks are going to be on the field is, you know, it's not a normal uh, defensive alignment. So I thought that was a big deal. Um, man, I, I guess in looking back at the game, and I know TCU, you know, very balanced offense. That One of you guys had mentioned that earlier in terms of their rush and pass. Um you look at the Ohio State game, right? And it was they ran the ball a little bit, not much. And the only times they really had success were when CJ Stroud was either scrambling or running to the outside. Like every play that they ran up the middle, with the exception of that like two-yard touchdown early on, I think to go up 14-7, everything was like, you know, running to the outside. So I feel like the way that TCU runs the ball, the way that Max Duggan runs the ball, right? Kind of more of that power game. I'm just going to be very interested to see if it's like, hey, that's what Georgia wants to just stop that, right? And like teams have thrown on them, but nobody's really run the ball like that on them. So I think that like, it's just going to be interesting, right? It's their strength kind of versus Georgia's strength. Um, 
and I haven't seen anybody been able to do that against Georgia. So I think it'll be interesting to see if they can. I personally don't think they're going to be able to line up and just run it that way. I think that's Georgia's strength, particularly, you know, just with the D line and the two middle linebackers. I think they're weaker in coverage than they are in the rushing game. Um, kind of related to this game, but going back to last game, you know, we had talked about, and I probably named five players of the game from Georgia because these guys just got me excited. But one of them, I don't even remember Pat and, and Wayne was A.D. Mitchell, right? Because he had been out, I told you guys, like most of the year. And I think you kind of saw he is that elite receiver for Georgia. There's some other guys. I do think McConkie's a very good receiver. He's different, though. Um, I feel like A.D. Mitchell is in that class of, I'm not saying he's as good as Marvin Harrison, right? But he's in that class of like an upper elite receiver. I love Lad McConkie. I don't know that he's there with, you know, Abuka and some of those other guys like Ohio State had. Um, so I feel like getting him back was huge. You know, you saw him make the touchdown catch at the end of the game. He had kind of a crossing route early on that was big to get a first down. Um, and then I was going to mention as well, Arian Smith. He's kind of a, a, not in a negative way, but a bit of a boomer bust player. He's just, I mean, the guy probably had, hadn't had 20 catches in his career. And then you see him catch, like, I think he had three catches for like 140 yards, you know, in that game, which was just massive, particularly the touchdown at the end, you know, when Georgia was down 11 to score that quick, I think with six minutes left was just huge. Cause even if, even if Georgia scores, they had to put a longer drive together, that would have been, been big. So anyway, I think that getting AD Mitchell back, getting Arian Smith, you know, he's kind of, he was hurt a little bit earlier in the year, but son kind of feels like he's coming around. Um, will be big for Georgia. Uh, what else, man? I don't know. I, I just don't see the times when Georgia's gotten picked on not only this year, but even in the past, call it, two or three years, the teams that like lit them up were guys that could just sling it around like nobody's business. So it was Joe Burrow, right? Killed him. Then it was Kyle Trask who had a ton of weapons with Kyle Pitts and uh, I'm drawing a blank on the dude that went to the Giants who's just an elite uh, receiver Tony. too. Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kadarius Tony. And then, uh, then it was Bryce Young. Right. And then it was CJ Stroud. Nothing against Max Duggan. Like, as an overall quarterback, I think he's really good, right? Your second Heisman, like, unbelievable leader, like, really good college QB. I don't know that he's as good of a thrower of the football as those guys. Again, very good thrower of the football, but, like, he's not Joe Burrow. He's not Bryce Young. He's not C.J. Stroud to me. Um, and those are the guys that have really lit up George. I just feel like when you get a really good receiving core and you get a really good quarterback that can throw it around, that's when George has been susceptible um, TCU's got some really good receivers. They've got a good quarterback. I don't know if he's that next level of a thrower, um, which is why I feel like if they can kind of shut down the run game a little bit and force them to throw the ball, I don't know that I don't know that TCU can do what we just saw Ohio State do. Heck, I don't know that honestly any other team in college football could do what we just saw Ohio State do, you know, to Georgia. But um, yeah, I guess that's my initial thoughts. And uh, do we have a prediction on on the game score here? Yeah, it's interesting, man, you know, because I look at that and even going back to the game, um, it's like, how did we, how did, how did Georgia win that game? I don't know, even till now, I'm watching the highlights and I'm like, I, there's no way that Georgia's going to win, you know, even knowing what's going to happen. But you look and it's like, I felt like the offense left stuff on the field, right? So I look in the third quarter and you have two, three and outs, right? You look on, you know, when Stetson Bennett tries to throw that wheel route and he throws a pick, which if he lobs it over the defense's head, could have potentially been a touchdown with the running back streaking down kind of the sideline on a wheel route. So you look at that and you're like, man, you feel like I personally feel like Georgia left some points on the field. And it's like, you feel like they left points on the field and they scored 42, 
you know? And so it's like, man, the offense is rolling. Um, you just win against arguably the best. The defense just went against arguably the best offense in the nation, and they put 41 up. I know TCU put 51 up, and every one of those points is legitimate, but they weren't all scored by the offense, right? So you're like, well, 14 of those were on the defense, so they put 37 up. I just feel like, I don't know, man, I think Georgia's offense um, is going to be able to score uh, almost at will. I just feel like they're really good and rolling with some of those receivers they've got back. A lot of the backs have come back too. Kendall Milton, I know we had mentioned him the last time we talked. He was the one who kind of powered it in on the goal line for that. I think it was the second touchdown. Um, I do think TCU will score some. Just I do think they're a good team, right? Everybody's got to give them respect now. They come in and dominate Michigan. Um, but, yeah, I guess I'd say somewhere in the ballpark of a – I don't know, man. Call it like 45 to – I just feel like I've been off on my prediction, so I want to give them more points. That I'll go, I'll go forty-five to twenty-eight, and that sounds like a lot of points at the end, or, or you know, big point differential and seventeen points. Um, but yeah, I'll go forty-five twenty-eight. Georgia it sounds, it sounds, like, yeah, it sounds <laughs> like sounds like a humble score, but uh, you know, we'll give it to you. It's, I, I, I've got to say, you know, if, if anybody out there knows the legendary announcer Larry Munson, he was a Georgia announcer, super famous. He was the biggest homer. So this is like, yeah, I don't. know. He also kind of had this negative attitude too, though. I guess I'm contradicting myself here. But as a Georgia fan, it's like there's the yeah, there's always a little bit of you know something in you where you're like, I can't really pick against my team, you know. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I was obviously off on the Ohio State Georgia game, so take it for what it is, but. Yeah, well, the, the spread, I think, for the record, it's like 13 and a half or 12 and a half. So for all the betters out there, FYI, uh, yeah, blame exactly. blame Taylor if the, if you get the score wrong here. So, yeah, yeah, go over. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I like your take. I, um, Yeah, I, I, I think for me it's like TCU. If, if, if TCU were to pull something off, right, pull, pull it off, like I would definitely see, like, Quinn and Johnson kind of being the cornerstone towards that. And then in terms of playmaking, because, you know, when I was looking at what CJ Stroud was doing and like, you know, being able to uh, elongate the play a little bit uh, to free up a, an elite wide receiver, like with Marvin Harrison, I'm like, oh, can Duggan do that with Quinton Johnston uh, against, you know, uh, Ringo probably is going to be covering him. Yes. You know, I, I think that is like where it could be dangerous uh, uh, from the TCU standpoint. And then obviously I think they do got to make some plays you know, maybe not, it'll be hard to get, you know, replicate, I guess, two pick sixes and stuff like that. Uh, and, all, you know, kind of all, all the things that happened with Michigan. But, um, you know, if they are to keep in this game, I definitely see, I, I think Duggan is going to have to have a big game, but then also Quinton Johnson, just because of his elite playmaking. You know, I don't know if Miller is going to be around, uh, you know, running the ball too well, uh, AA running the ball effectively, and then also, you know, being healthy and stuff like that too. So I just don't see it there, but um I think those are the big ones there. I think my my thinking is that, you know, with this whole three 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 five and them kind of be trying to concentrate, I guess, on stopping the run, I think, from Georgia. Because I think everybody knows, like, yeah, Georgia's, like, you know, they're, 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 there's definitely going to be a concentration to stop the run, you know, against uh, four TCU. So that's where I'm thinking Brock Bowers is going to have a big game. I think that's going to be the cornerstone, you know, since tight ends, it's like, they're kind of like, yeah, we block on occasion, but we can pa- cast the patch, uh, catch a pass too and stuff like that. So 
Um, I know Darnell Washington, I think he's still kind of questionable or something like that in terms of if he's going to be playing or not. So that's definitely where I feel like Bowers is he's he's going to step up and, you know, he's probably yeah the best tight end in the country like right now. Right. And, you know, that's definitely where I think his skill set is going to be really, really valuable for Georgia overall. Um, so with you know being able to catch, uh, you know, catch from the tight end position and then also block. So and then, you know, uh, do some play action, rollouts, things like that. I feel like that's where he's going to be kind of that X factor uh, for Georgia uh, against TCU's defense. So um, with all that being said, uh, I guess my prediction, uh, you know what? Hey, we've just been rolling with uh, Georgia. So I don't, let's bring out all the TCU. Uh, you know, we, we got a lot of crap, yeah, from Michigan and Ohio State. Bring out all the TCU people on us. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit. Uh, closer. I, I have them beating, I guess, the odds from Vegas or whatever. 41 37 uh, is my prediction. First repeat champions uh, since Alabama was about a decade ago. So, uh, yeah, so cheering on for Georgia, I think, to, to take it all there. So, but beating the spread, uh, TCU will be beating the spread. So, I'm giving you all that. So. You're trying to hedge your bets there, Wayne. I'm a little bit, a little so bit. Spread, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm hedging them for sure. So, I'm thinking about this game from the <clears throat> mental perspective of both teams. I mean, TCU just knocked off, you know, uh, Michigan, who was the favorite to walk into the national championship game from that semifinal. TCU kind of shocked the world. I think they were pretty excited. I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, I don't know the guys in that locker room, the coach, et cetera, uh, in any sort of personal way, but I just feel like, like Taylor was mentioning for last year's semifinal between Georgia and Michigan, I think TCU walks in this game just happy to be there. I think it's, you know, they've accomplished more than they probably set out for in this year. And I don't think they're ready for the buzzsaw that's going to be coming at them. And I think in the same sense, when you look at Georgia, they learned some really tough lessons. And I like what you said, Wayne, because that's exactly how I think TCU has to play the game to win it. I think they have to go pass heavy. They've got to target Quinn Johnston as their main guy. Um, but I don't think George is going to sit back and not think about that. I don't think they're not going to think about the lessons they just learned having Marvin Harrison, you know, and Stroud do damage on them in that semifinal. So if I were Georgia, you know, I know they like to play the three, three, five, but maybe have one guy playing man on Quentin Johnson, have some sort of zone or spy coverage where you almost have like two guys just trying to neutralize, you know, their main weapon. And, you know, when you got Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith up front, I think the run's going to be really hard for TCU to come by. I think, you know, Duggan, as he scrambles, tries to find some room. I think he's going to have a tough time. I think that pocket's going to close. I also think, you know, I don't know if Kendrick Miller is ready for the game, but hopefully Di Mercado's got some more, uh, you know, legs in him for this final. But, you know, I just think Georgia's got the wake-up call they needed, and they got it in the semifinal. And I think, you know, just overcoming that um, – you know, really, you know, light a fire underneath them. You know, they want to win, you know, back-to-back championships here. Um, and I think in that, I mean, I think their team is very balanced just in terms of how they run their offense too. I think, you know, they had to go a lot more pass-heavy against Ohio State, but they were playing from behind. And I think in that sense, you know, Stetson Bennett showed that he can, you know, win the game with his arm. But, you know, I also think once they establish some sort of lead, I think in the first half, I think they'll, you know, probably just ground and pound and, you know, play some really lockdown type defense. So, um, my prediction, I'm going to blow this one out of the water. I put some stuff on, you know, the IG story. I texted Taylor what I thought the score was going to be. I'm going to be a little bit more conservative than, than that. Cause I don't know if it's possible <laughs> yeah. to score the kind of points that I said I was yeah. talking about, 
within uh, you know four quarters. But I'm going to say 56 uh, for Georgia, and I'm going to say 24 for TCU. I think this is going to be an embarrassment. I think TCU is going to be just absolutely just handled and uh, you know <laughs> brutally beaten off this field. And uh, I hope I'm right. I hope Taylor gets you know another sip of the bubbly here for a second you know championship with uh, with Georgia. But uh, but but really honestly, I think you know looking at a lot of the metrics just how they've controlled the goal lines, both on O and D, um, you know, throughout the whole season, you know, watching them live and then seeing them last year. I just think, you know, this is this, you know, the team of this era. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to definitely show out on Monday. Hope you're right, Pat. Hope you're right. <laughs> you know, 56 sounds like a lot, but I guess that's kind of was my point a little bit too, you know, of you get to 42, right. And then you look and you're like, and that was against Ohio state. So I know that TCU is different. Let's just say even against Ohio state, it's like, how could they have gotten to 56? Like you got two, three and outs in the third quarter. You got an underthrown interception and you've got, you got two missed field goals. One of which was the one that I was just mentioning to you guys on the first drive of the game, that if you hand the ball off instead of keeping it on the quarterback keeper, that's a touchdown, right? So that's seven right there. So 56 sounds like a huge number, but I mean, just look at the way these games have gone so far, 41, 42, you know, and then 40, was it 45 or 46 to 51? You know, like they've been huge high scoring games. So, and I do think, and Kirby's mentioned this, you know, the later you get into the year, like defense just doesn't tackle as well, you know. Um, so I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing these super high scoring games. So. And just from my perspective, that, you know, semifinal between Ohio State and Georgia kind of felt like the national championship game. And now you're going up against TCU. It almost reminds me of like in the NBA when the Western Conference was dominant. It was like whatever the Western Conference finals were. Like that was the Super Bowl or that was like the main, you know, draw. And then it was like, oh, whoever the Eastern Conference is going to throw out there to represent. It's like, I just get that vibe from TCU and it's no disrespect, honestly, but it's just, I think they're just completely outmatched. Man, I hope you're right. I do feel a similar way, you know, and I know there's been other big bowl games where you've had kind of an underdog coming in. And I, I think most of the times when you've had the underdog coming in, it's like, I don't remember what year it was, but like Utah played Alabama, right? And it was in the Sugar Bowl. And Alabama was in the Sugar Bowl. But that was kind of a disappointment for them. And for Utah, it was like, this is their national championship. And so they beat Alabama as an underdog. It's hard for me to envision any team, even if you're an overdog, coming to the, uh, even if you're the favorite coming into the national championship and just being like so overly confident. Does that make sense? Like if you're coming in and you're, you wanted to win the SEC and go to the national championship game and you're, you know, you didn't win that and you go to the Sugar Bowl, you're a little disappointed. Another team would be, you know, super excited to be there because it's one of the best bowl games I've ever, ever been to. I just can't envision a scenario where the Georgia players are just so overconfident that they're going to dominate TCU. You know, we can sit here and talk about it. We're not in the locker room telling them that. I feel like the the coaches at Georgia, and I mentioned this last time, it's like I feel like they've done a really good job of treating every week individually on its own, new opponent, always given respect, whether it's Samford, TCU, Ohio State, Kent State. Um, and so, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I know everybody out there is outside of Georgia fans is going to be pulling for TCU and they're the huge underdog. And if I wasn't a Georgia fan, I'd pull for them too. But this is the national championship game. And it's just hard for me to envision Georgia. I'm not saying TCU couldn't somehow win, but it's hard for me to envision a scenario where everybody's picking Georgia and they came out overconfident and just didn't perform. Um, Who's who's your like offensive player of the game, would you say, uh, to, to watch for Georgia in this game? Who do you think is going to light it up? Man, I, I feel like, you know, you talked on, about it earlier. Um, and I don't want to say he's underutilized, but Brock Bowers is a freaking nature, man. And I just feel like 
what he can do sometimes in those like linebacker matchups and things like that, particularly if you can get some of those receivers going and, you know, particularly on, on downfield stuff, right, where you saw Arian Smith kind of loosen things up in the previous game, A.D. Mitchell's back full speed. I think that starts to open things up a little bit more. You can't key on a guy like Bowers. Um, and, yeah, I, I do actually feel like even though he wins the Mackey Award as the best tight end, that guy's so good. I almost feel like he's underutilized, as I guess is what I'm getting at. You look, and they even commented on it in the game. They're like, where's Brock Bowers? Where's Brock Bowers? I just feel like he's due, man, to have – one of these big breakout games. Um, so yeah, I'd go with Bowers. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me either if uh, Kenny McIntosh, you know, the back, just with what he can do, not just running the ball, but he's an elite receiver. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you saw him take that. He lined up in the, you know, on the outside as a receiver and takes that wide receiver screen in. I mean, I could see him having a big game, um, you know, both from a rushing and uh, passing or receiving standpoint. And, uh, Taylor, you could run circles around me in terms of knowing that roster, but just to see 10 guys catch one pass in the semifinal, have three guys basically split carries, not including Stetson. It's like, there's just so many different options. There's so many different avenues. It's like the greatest show on turf for college. It's like, we don't even have to talk about maybe one breakout star. It's like, I just think TCU is going to be so confused by what they throw at them. And it's just, you know, the talent's there. It just feels like it's pretty overwhelming in that sense. Yeah, this is probably going on another path. You guys can cut it out if you want to. But uh, I just like it's I think it kind of goes back to the culture piece that I mentioned to, you know, you talked about 10 guys catching a pass. You know, it's really easy to stick around a program if you're the main dude and, you know, you're getting all the attention from the wide receiver standpoint. But you look in that game and you know, obviously follow them better. So you guys probably don't know all those stories behind it. But like Dominic Blaylock, who's actually Mookie Blaylock's son. You remember the Mookie Blaylock, the point guard? Um from the Hawks. I don't know if you remember that guy. Anyway, he was a good NBA player. That's the son. He like catches this out route for Georgia. He's a receiver. You're talking about 10 receivers catching. You got it. You got a joke, Pat. Go for it. Oh, it's a stupid joke. I, I, everybody's played NBA jam. Uh, since <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> was in that trio for the Atlanta yeah. Hawks. Just exactly. He's lobbing it up. To, or you're passing out to Steve Smith for three pointers, or he's definitely lobbing it up to Dominique. I'm assuming Dominique was in that one. Um, but yeah, so he he tore his ACL like twice. The dude didn't play football for something like, you know, it was over two years. And to see a guy like that stick around in the program, come back, and then he's making, yeah, I think he only had like one catch in that game, if I remember appropriately, if I remember correctly, on the sideline. Or a guy like Karis Jackson was injured too, was a mainstay in our receiving core like two years ago. And then Lad McConkey's ahead of him, but like a huge team player, just like it's not about me. And he catches just a massive. I don't know if you remember before the, the game, they'll go ahead and touchdown to A.D. Mitchell. He catches that bomb down the middle, you know, kind of between the safety and the corners. It's just like you see these guys over and over again. It's like, man, when dudes like that stick around the program and like they're clearly good players, they could go somewhere else and play a lot. Um, it was just like awesome to see in the day and age of a transfer portal when you're talking about like 10 guys catching a pass. It's like if you're the fourth receiver at Georgia, you could definitely go to like a little bit of a smaller school and be the man. Um, but I think it, kind of just shows what I was talking about, right? The culture of, no, we want to stick around and it's not about me. And, you know, even Marcus Roseby, Jack Saints, another guy, he's probably caught less than 15 passes all year, pass across the middle. And just, he's even mentioned like, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm catching the ball or I'm, or I'm uh, blocking, like it's just whatever I can do to help the team. So I didn't know it was 10 receivers or 10 people caught passes in that game. That doesn't surprise me. So, yeah. yeah. And Darnell Washington caught, caught, you know, one pass for nine yards. And we're looking at like a first round talent, you know, a tight end. It's like, it just, it kind of just blows your mind. It's an embarrassment of riches in a sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, he got when you mentioned it too. He got his foot stepped on by our guard, and so he didn't play for a lot of that game. But you know, Kirby think keeps things tight to the vest, and so I don't or close to the vest. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to play. Um, but I mean, that was another thing that's impressive for me, right? We Brock Bowers comes out, you put in a true freshman tight end. It's like you would typically look at that and you're like, I just think the way that Georgia's built depth to lose a star is one thing, but then to replace them with a true freshman. You know, for a lot of teams, it'd be like, oh, man, that's 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 a lot to overcome against a team like Ohio State to not really have a drop off there. Or, yeah, I, or, yeah, I think I remember he had like a key block uh, uh, for, a, for a touchdown run or something like that. So I, I don't even know who the guy was, but it was like that's a good block from a backup tight end or whatever. So, yeah, Oscar Delp, I think he chipped on that JT, whatever his, his last name is, and kind of sealed yeah. the, the edge or something, if I remember correctly. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, to come in cold like that, just like, oh, yeah, just, you know, put on a great block because, you know, I'm a stud uh, tight end, a third string tight end for this. But, yeah, you're, you're who's who's in front of you? Oh, two NFL caliber tight ends, like, you know, first, second rounders. So, yeah, it's pretty right. crazy. Yeah, Not for sure. Uh, so I guess with that, um, I don't know if there's any more thoughts you guys want to put out there for this game or for college football overall. But, um, you know, I guess I'll just ask you guys first off. I mean, I can go first because I want I guess I want Taylor to have the last word there. But um, I mean, like how like first off, it was a great, great decision to have finally, a, a, you know, or to have the college football playoffs. Like I know it's been several years since it started, but I just remember back then. Yeah, like the you know, when Boise State would go undefeated and then we would have those questions that we were you know, kind of having with like TCU now. Right now, those questions are being kind of solved. It's like you have this Cinderella type of you know, football team uh, from, you know, not to call, I guess, like the, you know, the, the big 12 or whatever the, yeah, like, like some sort of mid-level type of conference, but then it's like, yeah, now uh, you, you get to have these stories uh, kind of be t- told out now, like underdog versus, you know, a juggernaut. And I, so I'm very excited to think about this game overall. And then, yeah, if, if Georgia does become, you know, the first repeat champs and everything, like, wow. It's gonna be maybe maybe I'll be joined on joining the bandwagon. So I, t- I talked about not being uh, not having like an official college football uh, team and everything, but yeah, I guess I, I'd have to jump on the the Georgia bandwagon there if that's the case. So yeah, is this the final thought just about the game, or is this the final thought that you dropped the corn dog stand on me last time? Because that could go two different ways. So I, I wanted to I wanted to first close out the college football because okay. the final thought. So wait, I'm gonna have to make that decision. That's a tough decision for me to make. You got football, but then you introduce the most delicious corn dogs to me on earth. So I didn't want to have to decide between the two. Uh, yeah, yeah, your comments are, are spot on, Wayne. I, I do agree with you. I remember it, like college football used to be so anticlimactic, right? Towards the end of the year. You know, it was like all the regular season games matter. And then it was like, well, we get one national championship game. Having these semifinal games just built up so much more momentum and interest and has changed this whole like, well, that team got screwed out. They shouldn't have been in there. I mean, even this year, you know, everybody would have said TCU is the one that doesn't deserve to be in. Well, now they're playing in the national championship game. And maybe somebody out there is saying, well, Alabama got screwed, right? But it's a different argument to say, well, Alabama got screwed at five than somebody got screwed at three. Does that make sense? You know, it used to just be the third place team got left out. Now it's the fifth place team. So I feel like that argument is a little bit less. And it's like, well, you shouldn't have lost two games, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's been awesome to see that. Uh, I will say if, if if that holds true in what you're talking about, 
I'm going to be both excited and pissed because I don't want Georgia to become like the Alabama bandwagon. You <laughs> can have everybody wearing gear and stuff. Then I'm going to be like, I'm a Georgia fan. It's like, hold on, don't call me out now. You know, if somebody's going to be like, you're a bandwagon fan. I'm be like, dude, no, I'm not. I'm the furthest thing from a bandwagon fan. I'm not wearing the gear. I'm just suffering. I've been suffering for 41 years before last year. I put in my time. So I almost want like them to win. It's like, how do you let them, I don't know, how do you, how do you establish a dominant, dominant program, but still have that hunger and fight and stuff. But uh, yeah. 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 I was gonna say, it's, like, it's like a band, right? It's like a band. Like once it, it's like, Oh, I, I discovered them when they were like an indie band. Now they, you know, they've made it and everything like, Oh, come on. All these posers and everything. So <laughs> exactly. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like that meme uh, with Argentina, you know, winning the final. It's like, you know, I've been an Argentina fan since December 2022. (laughs) In a lot of ways, I feel like, uh, you know, just just finding that one team that's riding it hot. But uh, yeah, I think like Wayne, I've become like, you know, let's say a a casual uh, bandwagon fan of Georgia, probably just through Taylor, just like kind of seeing the excitement and kind of hearing your stories from last year and then kind of going to the game this year and stuff like I like rooting for South Carolina and uh, you know, my fandom is kind of growing slowly as we've left the program and stuff, but I've never truly had outside of Northwestern uh, who's never really had like a national championship uh, run or anything like that with, for me growing up. But uh, you know, with pro sports being so dominant in Chicago, it's been nice to watch, you know, Georgia, you know, take these steps in the last couple of years. So it's just fun. I, you know, I just, for you, I hope they, they win another title here and uh, you know, bring you a lot of joy and stuff like that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, I, I, I do, I would appreciate if you give us Jalen Carter and Cedric Van Prant Granger, uh, cause we both, we need both the, the bears do. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, we, we, I guess we, I don't know if this is a good thing or not. You kind of got, I don't know if you, he's obviously not a Georgia guy from where he left off last, but, uh, Justin Fields, right. He started his career at Georgia. So yeah. That's right. Yeah, ironically, I, was there at the same time as Stetson Bennett. If that that'll just blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. Although, yeah, I think he did cheer for OU. I believe. I think they 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 uh the Bears media were like, "Hey, who are you cheering for?" And then he just like dropped down his helmet, I think, and then he just went like, hmm. or OSU or whatever, something like that. So yeah, yeah I get that. <laughs> he had to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing playing to the to yeah to, to his album his other his alma mater that entrusted him on you know. Uh, being the quarterback so right right i just think a great recap of of what's to come here on monday um looking back at the semifinals two two great matchups uh, so we'll close out you know college football for today um and go around with some final thoughts uh i think i pushed it on taylor last time to kick it off so i'm gonna actually shift it over to wayne uh to give us a final thought here ah geez final thought um i mean i guess uh you know, for New Year's resolutions, I know that's that was kind of a big thing. I know it's been talking the works. It is like January and everything. So I guess, uh, you know, one of my New Year's resolutions, apart from growing the pod, right, uh, probably just to travel more. I think I'm debating whether to go to New Orleans or go to like Mexico. And then I'm also maybe looking at, uh, you know, going to like Switzerland or something like that. So, um, yeah, I think it's just nice to get out there uh, and see the world a little bit. You know, we've been kind of clustered, I think, for the, you know, the past couple of years. So yeah, might as well see the world a little bit, um, especially, I guess, when the dollar's a little bit nicer than some other currencies currently. So, uh, but yeah, um, you know, I think good, good, good to get out there and yeah, grow the pod too. I think uh, all that could be fun and, uh, you know, love what we're doing here. So.
I had a bit of smile on my face just because you said Mexico and uh, Taylor and I live there basically together in a, you know, with a, with a cohort of about 15, but I think there was a group of uh, five of us that really. I was going to say, you, have, you guys have stories, huh? <laughs> <laughs> really, really yeah. turned it up. Yeah, that could be a whole nother podcast in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say this, Wayne, we were there to learn intensive Spanish for <laughs> basically five months. And in that process, I think we learned more Spanish staying up, you know, probably to, you know, two, three, four in the morning, you know, four to five nights a week. I don't know, like, depending on the crowd you were running with uh, you know, any given week, but uh, that just brings back a ton of uh, awesome memories. And uh, we definitely pitched Puerto Vallarta, uh, Guadalajara, and uh, Taylor has anything more to add. I would just leave it there. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, I, I was looking at Puerto Vallarta. So yeah. That that's was... a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of what I can add that's like... <laughs> would would need to be taken off the podcast not that it's, <laughs> it was just a lot of good times uh in mexico um yeah i don't know I always have a fond memories there particularly just hanging out there was a group of five of us that are like super close even to this day and we all kind of yeah. didn't even have it coordinated we just all kind of ended up in mexico together and uh yeah, it's a cool experience. You know, I think it's, I guess, my thing that I would add is, you know, it's just different to travel somewhere versus like live there and you just get more of a feel for it. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. like talking to people from Mexico. I'm like, oh, I lived like in Guadalajara, like in Minerva. And they're like, what, the, like, what are you doing there? You know, like, it's just <laughs> cool just to be on the ground and, and live that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, was that your final thought, Pat, or are you coming back to it? <laughs> oh, I've got a completely final thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only story I think is, uh, a good one that's pretty much PG, but just getting the university that we went to to basically comp a trip for us to Puerto Vallarta, staying at you know a hotel resort. Um, all of us, I think we spent like a good long weekend there or something. Uh, Taylor, please you know correct me if I'm wrong if I'm missing any details here. But this whole trip, we all had these orange wristbands on, and for whatever reason, uh, we never really put it together that the orange wristbands. Um, you know, basically had more than just, you know, hey, I'm at the resort. So essentially, I think we were kind of ordering drinks on the last night. And, uh, you know, I think I went to my wallet to pull it out because, you know, I basically just had a drink or whatever. And the guy's like, wallet, like, you know, put that back, put that back. And I was like, why? And then he's like, wristband. And I was like, wait, this whole time I could have been having free drinks in Mexico for like the last three nights. And like, we'd been going out to like, bars restaurants clubs whatever like just spending it not spending a ton of money but in the same sense yeah. of just like this whole time we had this like treasure chest right here and after that point everybody kind of in tune like understood they all had wristbands and it was like everyone's just double fisting the entire night so it was just you know partying by the pool and stuff and then you know the next day um we all kind of woke up especially early because i think they opened up the bar in the a.m or something like that and i think our bus was like leaving at noon and for about two hours. I mean, everybody was just double fisting like the entire morning. And uh, I think a quote came out of it. It's just, uh, you know, it's never over, I think was the main, you know, takeaway from that trip. It was just It like, did. It did. You're right. But did you know where that came from, though? At some point the next morning, and I don't know if they, maybe they did let us drink. I didn't remember it exactly that way. But I know that Christian came up and he, our other buddy, and he ordered something. And the guy was just like, it's over and just like grabbed his hand and like snipped the wristband off of it. And it was like the disappointed look on his face. And I, so now we always have this quote. It, it was just like, you don't like, you don't take that away from us. It's never over. <laughs> so now like whenever there is something else where we're out together, like when I went to visit Pat and uh, 
Virginia and we were out and taking a few tequila shots. We like sent a video to the guys and we're just like, this shit is not over. You know, it's like 11 <laughs> years later. So anyway, it's just become this joke of like, it's never over. Anyway. I would say it was like Yogi Berra, if he was like, you know, drinking in Mexico, like, I think that's like what he would say, right? So that's awesome. <laughs> so you guys didn't know you stayed like an all-inclusive resort? Is that is that what I'm hearing? Like, like didn't calculate or whatever? Correct me if I'm wrong, Taylor. Like, seriously, I don't, I don't remember that specifically. Yeah. I will say this: <laughs> there's no, there's no judgment there here. But like, yeah. I know that like, yeah, Patton and our buddy Chris and Will all live together, and um, yeah. So I don't know, like, just in terms of like drinking and going out, they may have done that more than I did, if that makes any sense. Um, no judgment, right? You guys were, you know, a few years younger, and yeah. Yeah, just taking advantage of the time there and stuff. So I don't remember missing out on the drinks there or anything, but I'm sure it did. I, I do remember going out to the clubs and God, yeah. yeah. Some funny my, stories, particularly about yeah, about other people in our class. But no, I mean my understanding of the wristband was like this is yours to like come in, come out of the resort hotel. You don't have to go to check in. And then the other sense was just the food. I think I kind of understood like food and buffets would be comped. So it was like I think where I was lost is like, hey, this whole trip was comp by our university and our university just like <laughs> paid for like an all inclusive, like all you can drink, all you can eat, like type setup. Like it, it just didn't register because I like never thought that would be the possible, you know, the, the kind of the outcome of, you know, being put on a class trip or something like that. So um, different country, different rules. Uh, yeah. So glad that those uh, rules were bent in many different ways uh, throughout the, the the time that we were there. But uh now for sure, good times. And uh, yeah, Wayne, if you go to travel, um, you know, check out Puerto Vallarta. Uh, Guadalajara was a lot of fun, um, much more mellow, I'd say, comparatively speaking. Yeah. But uh, I thought the Lucha Libre stuff was a lot of fun going out at night. And then um, yeah. Taylor, you like live downtown, but if you had anything to share, um, you know, about that in general, if you wanted to, but those were my takeaways, really. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know, man. It was just cool, like, living downtown and stuff, like you said. Mm -hmm. uh, if I was on vacation, I probably wouldn't go to Guadalajara just because, you know, it's like the city and you can't really – I mean, there'd be cool stuff to do, but I just feel like having the beach around is built-in kind of entertainment and stuff. Uh, what else? Yeah, it was cool. I, I like living in Mexico. I remember the, the Lucha Libre stuff was fun. And I guess Sundays where they shut down all the roads. That is one thing I miss about, I guess, a lot of other cultures, not just Latin culture, but even, like – going to Europe and stuff, you just see all these like plazas and stuff and people are out with their families. I feel like a lot of other countries do it right. Whereas Americans are like, I'm going to meet you at noon. We're going to eat for an hour and a half and then we're going to go home and do nothing. I'm like, man, it's not about the food. All, I mean, I don't get me wrong. Like I love food, but like just kind of hanging out and chilling and, you know, being out with family and friends and stuff. Sometimes I feel like we miss, we miss that here in the U S you know, it's not all about like where you're going necessarily. It's like, just go and chill and hang out, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, it's like going to the farmer's market and getting like five different kinds of cheese or something like that. Like that's a goal <laughs> for a Sunday for some people. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I missed I miss those like, I guess I did it less probably in Mexico, but just like the Latin lunches like in in Brazil, you know, it'd be like from two to five. I wouldn't even have to eat dinner because just be like this like three hour lunch on a Saturday. And I loved it. Like, okay. I was definitely on the fence. Like, should I go to Mexico? I mean, New Orleans is a little bit cheaper, but I don't know. It's like, not, I feel like now I got to go to Mexico now. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Taylor, did you have any final thoughts? Unrelated to football. Yeah, Wayne, you actually like set me up for this a little bit with your New Year's Eve thing. And it kind of goes along with our, your New Year's resolution thing, not New Year's Eve. Um, 
I guess it kind of goes along with my podcast, not to throw another plug in there, but I kind of started following this dude on Instagram and I really liked the stuff he was throwing out. And so I signed up for his little daily reflections, I guess they're called. And so you you definitely made this one uh, hit home for me, Wayne, because talking about like what you wanted to do this year, but the one that he sent, I think it was today, yeah, was what if this were your last year on earth, what would you prioritize uh, that you've been putting off because you believed you had more time? So yeah, I think we all do that, right? Like, go to Mexico and get drunk. Yeah, that's. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I especially think that's true now with the whole Demar Hamlin situation. I feel like the first few days of my work week, and maybe you guys felt the same way, but like, you know, I, I feel like football entertainment really brings like uh, a tragedy, you know, to life. It hits home a lot harder. I feel like when it's just so much in the public eye, but you know, think the guy was just making a tackle and, uh, you know, his shoulder, you know, hit him pretty hard in the chest and uh, almost, you know, possibly ended his life for for minutes, hours, whatever it was. And now, you know, I'm glad to see that he's, you know, coming back to life. Uh, I, I personally, if he never plays football again, just to have him alive is probably one of the be- you know better outcomes of, of what's happened to him. But, uh, you know, like you're saying with your quote, I think that really, like, hits home for me in terms of like making sure you're doing everything you need to do to, you know, live a satisfying life, however you define it. Not for sure. And for me, um, basically outside of what you guys are talking about, this can be completely irrelevant, but uh, found this daily show um, (laughs) IG clip from Roy Wood Jr. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen anything circulating from the daily show on Instagram, but, but go check this out. Um, I was in tears laughing because I really love flaming hot food, uh, a lot of the snacks and things like that. And this guy just goes on a complete dissection and kind of like satire about flaming hot food and basically laughing at like now there's flaming hot cereals, there's flaming hot candies and like why on God's, you know, green earth would you create, uh, you know, flaming hot Mountain Dew for what it's worth. So. I don't know. I was just kind of cracking up to myself. Like, you know, it just kind of, it just kind of hit me because, you know, I'd say like flaming hot Cheetos are my favorite of the whole, you know, collection, but I did want to ask you guys, are you flaming hot fans? And if so, which products do you like? And would you try any of this crazy stuff like the cereal, the candy or a Mountain Dew? I mean, I I'm all for the flaming hot Cheetos, but for me, I feel like, like that's just max. Like everything else is just great. Like what flaming hot Mountain Dew? Like what is this? This is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I feel like half of it. I honestly, I think half of it is like just marketing gimmicks. It's like the fact it's like, oh, that sounds interesting. Maybe I'll try it once at least, and then I could just to say I tried it. But I don't find that appetizing one bit. Like so, you know, to to your point here of like, you know, oh, you know, is this something that I'm going to regret? Like, you know, if this was the last year of my life, or no, that would not be it whatsoever. <laughs> not trying flaming yeah. hot Mountain Dew or something. So, anyway, yeah, I, I think flaming hot Cheetos that's good enough for me. Some of these other things, I feel like it's just all gimmicky. So, yeah, yeah, I do, I do really like spicy stuff, and I tend to go with like more of the real foods with my spicy stuff. I'm not, I'm definitely not saying I'm not a spicy Cheetos fan. I do like that. It's just, <laughs> Try not to keep that around the house because I've got enough other things that, you know, allow me to keep my weight up and I don't need snacks like that around the house. But yeah, talking about a spicy Mountain Dew, like, I don't know if you've ever like drank spicy stuff, but like it kind of just goes right through you. And I don't know that I would want to deal with the after effects of that. Um, Yeah, that sounds terrible, to be honest. Um, I think the spiciest thing I've drank is like a, you know, like a 
uh, ginger ale, like a real ginger beer with ginger in it, you know, and that's a different kind of spice than like, than the, the flaming hot sprinkles or whatever. <laughs> I guess like I've had a Bloody Mary that's like extra yeah. spicy with jalapenos, whatever else they've, you know, could possibly add to the, to the yeah, right. mix or whatever. But I, but I do think like just having like two very synthetic products just like coming together in one drink, like I just feel like heartburn is like probably the the least of your concerns in that sense. And it's just like, I like where Wayne's going though. It's kind of like, I feel like Doritos, PepsiCo, whatever it is, has their hands on like all these different snacks, all these different options. And like sooner or later, we'll find it in our like, you know, hostess cakes or something like that. Or, or maybe in our paper towels, we'll have like flaming hot paper towels that just like, you know, burn your face for whatever reason. I mean, I was, I was just saying, could you imagine flaming hot toilet paper? I feel like that would be so <laughs> a great white elephant gift, man. I gotta say, Pat, I could I can talk about me not wanting to drink that at all. But <laughs> if I'm back there again, and you get your like annual night out, and we're taking tequila shots, and you fix me up your five corn dog plate <laughs> with a little glass of spicy Mountain Dew. I'm absolutely going to take that down. So <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, I will make a plug though. If you guys have never tried this, try it. Um, my at my high school, this was like the rage. But there used to be dollar bagels with a cream cheese, and then we'd buy fifty cent bags of flaming hot Cheetos, bagel and cream cheese. Toss those Cheetos on there. Make a sandwich. I'm telling you right now, just do it. Do it in the privacy of your home. Don't report back to me. I don't. You know, doesn't have to go there. But you'll enjoy that. All right. I got to tie this back in then. You're talking about Mexico. You did just make me remember this. Do you remember what Will called his Frito thing before I explain it? You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Our buddy right. Will would buy a bag of Fritos, and then he'd go to the in the gas station, right, or something, or like a convenience store. And then he'd go to the line where it had the hot dog, and he'd make chili cheese. So he'd squirt out, like, all the yellow cheese into the bag with chili, and he would have, like, legitimate chili cheese Fritos. I mean, that's super legit and i also remember the bag of potato chips where they just basically take like valentina's hot sauce or whatever it was and pour it over the top of the of this plastic bag of potato chips and then squeeze like all this lime in there and like that was awesome man i would do that here um valentina's isn't sold at the grocery stores out here for whatever reason but gotcha and there's a lot of like secret mashup gems i feel like they're just floating out in the universe i mean yeah. i think it all makes sense like it's 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 like you're mixing fat with like hot, right? I think that 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 that, is, that does mesh, like you know, yeah, from like the culinary standpoint. So whether it's flaming hot Cheetos and cream cheese, or you know, some of these other things we're talking about. So I get it. And you just got the lime, like adding, you know, that yeah. like over, like just just a little acid in there. Like why not? Um, yeah, I think the Food Channel will, like definitely pick up this pod now. Um, yeah, I feel it's like it's like starting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, like astronomy. Yeah. <laughs> No doubt. Well, I think we've spent as much time talking about final thoughts, old stories, fast food, et cetera, than we have the national title game coming up here <laughs> on Monday. Um, but great show. Always glad to have Taylor back. Um, again, if you guys are out there, uh, Constant Quest on Apple uh, Podcasts, subscribe, uh, review. Please do the same for us, Ball and Breakfast Podcasts. We're on you know, Apple, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify. If you want to find us on Instagram, I'll, I'll post some stories up, uh, plugging a lot of this stuff that we've talked about and, uh, you know, the episode ahead. So looking forward to Wayne putting all, you know, putting a lot of these uh, mashups together for the videos and reels and stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll talk to you guys soon.